Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Barrels and <laughs> Barrels and Business Project. I nearly called it the Bean Ninjas Podcast, Meryl. <laughs> Look at that. I'm just too used to being on your show. <laughs> well, with the Barrels and Business Podcast, we aim to deliver you an hour or so of entertaining conversations about the best surf spots in the world, quintessential quivers, product recommendations, our worst wipeouts in life and in business, as well as in the surf, some coop chaos. And most importantly, the trials and tribulations of starting up and scaling up a business and how do we continue to run an epic life while still running said businesses. So today I am joined with the amazing Meryl Johnson and she is from Bean Ninjas. Now, Meryl's been surfing for 15 years. I love seeing her Instagram posts of her like charging at like the Mentawis or all sorts of places. And most importantly, though, Meryl has just won the Oscars for bookkeeping. Now, stay with me, people. Zero rolls out the red carpet, quite literally, to give out the best in the business for accounting, bookkeeping, and all things financial. Meryl, tell me about this experience for you. It was pretty awesome. I've been to awards dinners before and it's a nice black tie event and a, a sit down dinner, but this was quite different. It was only, I've just got back from it a couple of weeks ago and zero, they flew me and two other team members down to Melbourne. They put us up in a five-star hotel, Crown Towers. I was picked up from the airport by a chauffeur in a suit and tie, BMW. It was just, they, they put on a, a beautiful dinner at Mutamon, which is an oh. amazing restaurant oh. in Melbourne. I love Voodamond. So it, it really was just an incredible experience. And winning an award like that is great to be recognised in the industry by your peers. And I wasn't actually expecting an experience like that, but that's just what Zero is all about. They, they do everything that they do really well. And it was amazing to take a couple of my team members along, kind of celebrate the year that we've had all together. That is really amazing. For those of you who don't know what Zero is, Zero changed my life when it came to running my business. So if you've had MYOB or QuickBooks or anything like that, it's basically accounting software to help streamline your business. And I know that Bean Ninjas are like, obviously the, the best of the best in utilizing the system. But even if you're not ready to, to go to the next level and get like a virtual CFO or a bookkeeper, this is something that you should really have in your business to just save you time, money, time, money and energy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, it's a tool that you can use yourself as a business owner if you're not, not ready or not big enough to have some of these other members in your finance team like a virtual CFO. Absolutely. Just get the software and, and learn how to use it so that you know the numbers in your business. Yeah, I literally have been on and on and on to my um, brother-in-law about him running the business. He was doing all of his invoicing manually, all of his timesheets manually, like getting people to send in a text message with their hours and he wasn't quoting properly. Then he couldn't reconcile like any of his accounts. I'm like, Oh my God, my, and my sister's an executive assistant. She's like, he just won't listen to me. <laughs> and then I went over there a few months ago and he's like, oh, we've got zero. And they, they put through their timesheets online. I'm like, and how many hours did you get back in your life? He's like, Oh my God, it's saving me like six hours a week. And I, yeah. Imagine you can spend an extra six hours in your highest, best use. Yeah. Or surfing. Or surfing. <laughs> More importantly, <laughs> surfing, right? Uh, have you got a surf this week here? I have. I went out a couple of days ago. I used yeah. to, my morning routine used to be that I'd wake up at five every morning and I'd drive straight to the beach with two different boards in the car, longboard, shortboard, and try and get out every day. But now I've got an eight-month-old <laughs> daughter. So I'm on mum duty in the mornings. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have to... Uh, figure it out and, and either try and duck out at lunchtime or, or build it into my work day so yeah. that I'm not yeah sneaking out. I occasionally have an early, like a, a business meeting and my uh -huh. partner will say, why do you have a surfboard under your arm for said business board meeting? meeting. <laughs> exactly. Board meeting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. She surfs too though, right? Not really. She can surf <laughs> a little bit, but she's not really into it. More, it's more, if we go on a holiday to a surf location, it's right. probably more about me. Yep. Okay. Um, I've just found that it's 
tiny this week. I had a look out the front this morning and it was like, okay, I have a to-do list the length of my arm. Should I do the to-do list or get wet? And then I decided I'll do the to-do list. Then I'll do the podcast coaching call, then surf. Yep. Because I don't think it was going to get any worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got a really bad run of flatness here at the moment. Yeah, and it's even harder now that I don't have that much time to surf. It seems like it's flat whenever whenever I actually have a window to go for a couple of hours. It, it hasn't been good recently. But. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Get wet, hope for the best. Although I, uh, I was in Byron working with a colleague uh, on a collab two days ago and the pass was just so flat and we were around to Tallows and I had heaps of fun little just shore breaks. Yeah, sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, checking a few other spots. I mean, my attitude now is, okay, well, this is my time to go surfing, so I'm I'm just going to have to go regardless of what the conditions. And sometimes it surprises you. It looks bad, and then there's not many people out, and you're like, okay, that was actually kind of fun. Yeah, kind of fun. At least least got the exercise. I just call it practicing my (laughs) pop-ups. So at least if I get up and down, uh, and it works the shoulders, then I feel like I can always always work on my pop-up. Yeah. (laughs) So you did say that you started being ninjas originally, so you had more time to go surfing. But I also know that it took up to four years for you to get operationally out of the business to have that whole month off with your daughter. So talk me through this. This is what we find a lot with business owners, right? They start it because they're like, I want more time and freedom. Usually more time, money and freedom. And I want to go surfing more. And then they've traded a job for slavery (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was kind of like that for me because before bean ninjas i was doing consulting and so i was getting paid a much higher hourly rate than i was as an employee and i was working Mm -hmm. less and it was really flexible so i was actually surfing more i was pretty fit like exercise training a lot and then i started bean ninjas with the idea of scaling that so that i didn't actually have to do the delivery that i did with the consulting Mm -hmm. work and it was the opposite i was working way (laughs) more hours (laughs) And and as you said, it took years. So uh, even though my work was flexible, so I could still duck out and surf, but I was definitely working 60 hours or more those Mm. first couple of years, 60 hours a week. And I didn't realize, I I suppose I'd seen people around me. I I was watching the the story of Dan Norris, who lived on the Gold Coast, build a seven-figure business in two years. I thought, oh, that looks pretty, maybe I can do that. That That doesn't look that hard. But actually, it is hard, and there's a lot of effort that goes into it, and a lot to learn as a first-time business owner. Yeah. Anyway. What would you say, in hindsight, could you have done different potentially to be able to get that freedom a little bit earlier? I think our problem was that we had no network or audience. We didn't have a lot of resources because we put in five hundred dollars each to start the business, and you so- started it in seven days. We did. We started in seven days. Yeah. Just to see whether there was any kind of demand for what what we were doing. We did. We got our first customer in seven days and we created our logo. I mean, dodgy logo, dodgy website, but but enough to get a customer and kind of grew it from there. But I think because we didn't have any of those resources, I wasn't experienced as a business owner. So there was just a lot to learn. Mm. And so I probably wouldn't have gone back and changed things because I think I needed to go through that process of learning about how to build an audience, learning about how to Mm. adapt our product and find product market fit. I had a lot to learn about leading teams. So I probably, if we had got there faster, maybe I wouldn't have learned some of these lessons that I will now apply to future businesses or Mm -hmm. growing Bean Ninjas to be a much bigger business. But I think when you hear of someone, you know, the overnight success story, it's really 10 years in the making. They (laughs) they, they didn't get there. It wasn't their first road when they did, when they create that kind of success. Yeah. Um, and this, this is what the, the world of the Instagram highlight reel leads us to believe, right? Like, oh yeah, they were nowhere. And then bang, it's like, bitch was like grinding <laughs> for 80 hours a week in a tiny cupboard of a room, like for years before they tipped it, probably working in a job, doing a side hustle. Like, yeah, it's, there's no such thing as overnight success. There's, yeah. even if, even if the business seems like it is like, okay, pop up business. But when you look at how much grind had to go in and the, the learnings from either being an employee or going through the, the, you know, being in an actual business and seeing it before it tips. 
So if you were going to give some recommendations though to someone else in your situation looking to start up, they are either coming from a, bit, a, a business that they've been running, but they're changing industry or they've been in a career and now they're going to start up. What would you say they should do before they launch? A couple of things. One, sort out personal finances. Mm-hmm. That was something that I, I hadn't thought through, but I had because I have a saving mentality. So I'd built mm-hmm. up more than a year's worth of runway in terms of living costs. And wow. that really took the pressure off me having to make been into a success in yep. two weeks. So I'd, if you're in a job, then I'd have a look at what kind of savings you have and maybe stay in that job a little bit longer just to build up a bank balance or look at where you can cut expenses. And I know it does not sound sexy. No one wants to talk about cutting expenses, but there's actually a, a lot of freedom you can create for yourself. Oh, if you yeah. think about, do I need this nice car or can I live somewhere a little bit different yeah. or, or just try and cut things back? so that you can spend that money either on runway or on building your business. So one would be, yeah, personal finance situation. 100%. That's, I think, one of the key things I coach clients around is understanding that freedom number. So mm. what, is, what is the minimum viable for you to live on? And that's your freedom number so that you can start doing that. Um, but also because once you've got that security and you're not desperate, otherwise that scarcity mentality, that desperation you're taking work for the sake of it, dealing with clients you don't want to work with just because you need cash. None of that energy is great. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to be in that place. People can sense, sense desperation. Oh, and so you never, <laughs> you never want to be in that position with sales calls. So whether it's yeah. savings or whether you have some kind of transition. So instead of going straight from full-time job to business that you, you've not got a lot of experience with, could you transition? And I did that transition through being a contractor, through a yeah. recruitment agency, pretty flexible, oh. remote work. Yeah. And then I, I didn't knew I didn't want to do that, but that was just a, a means to the end of yeah. keeping my income somewhat stable and doing two or three days a week with that. And then just scaling it down as consulting grew. And then from there, I grew a more scalable business, but I didn't go straight to, to Bean Ninjas. So the yeah. second lesson after personal finances is just thinking, well, how can you maintain some kind of baseline income, like that freedom number mm-hmm. you talked about, but also pick an easy business model to start with. So you might be an entrepreneur for 20 years or 30. So you don't have to have the, the sexy tech startup with your, <laughs> as your first business. Yeah. You, just pick something that is has a low barrier to entry Mm-hmm. like consulting, like a service business, maybe it's e-commerce. It depends on you and what your skill set is, but don't go for the, the really complex business model from day one. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you see people do that and they wonder why they fail and then they get feel beat up and there's just so many business lessons to learn before you go for the ultimate too. Yeah. And that actually really frustrated me with the startup world or the community here i was involved in that before beanages and it felt like that kind of mindset of go big or go home yeah. you've got to build a tech startup and i was thinking this is creating an industry where we've got people that want to run businesses want to innovate and they're setting they're being set up to fail because they haven't yeah. got the experience or the resources and they're trying to build a two-sided marketplace or a, a tech startup that might take a million dollars to to get off the yeah. ground or, or compete with the, the, the well-funded competitors mm-hmm. and then they fail and go back to having a job. Instead, yeah, why don't we, encourage, yeah, instead of that, why don't we encourage everyone to grow smaller businesses, yeah. build their skills, and then in five years or in 10 years, then build that, that tech startup that's going to have, yeah. you know, be, be well-changing. That's a, that's a really interesting point because one of the things I said to a friend a few years ago is the more entrepreneurial books I read and the more self-development books I read, the worse I feel about myself. (laughs) And I get this anxiety that this is going to sound so hypocritical because I teach a seminar called be extraordinary for my belly now, but like that you have to have this extraordinary life and it needs to be this top level. Otherwise you're nothing. And especially if you start running that circles, you're comparing yourself and you're like, like, it needs to be this. And if it's not this, it's, it's not worth it. And it's nothing. And I think that that really plays into anxiety um, and, and stress being in that space. And it's, it's interesting that you found that on the, cause I wasn't in the Gold Coast startup scene um, when I, 
My start, first startup business was in Darwin, so there's no startups. <laughs> that was 21 years ago. Um, so no, no scene whatsoever. Or oh, wrong scene. Um, <laughs> but I didn't realise that that was so prevalent here. Yeah, it was an interesting experience for me because I'd, I'd been involved in a, a mini tech startup that came out of a tech startup weekend and then mm-hmm. realised pretty quickly, oh, wow, it's going to take so, so much time and money to build this business. It was in the healthcare industry and we had no contacts. And I realised pretty quickly, I'm not going to be able to pay any of my living costs with this business. And we shut it down after a couple yeah. of months. But then I was still working out of a co-working space. This was in Brisbane. And really, I, I didn't feel like I was, part, everyone's building the next Uber for this or the, the yeah. Facebook for that. And yeah. I was running Beanagers, which was a, it had global and scalable potential, but it wasn't the, the Uber of whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I really felt on the, the outer and I really, and reflecting on that felt like this is not, this is not how I see the industry should be going. We should be mm. encouraging people to choose the right kind of business for them. And that might yes. be the right kind of business for someone that wants to be yeah. the next Canva. Absolutely. We, we need to support that, but it really should come back to figuring out for each person, what do you want to achieve out of your business? Where do you want to be financially? What kind of lifestyle do you want? And then encourage everyone to succeed, not be kind of pigeonholed into mm-hmm. just the, the one business model yeah. or one route. Oh, I love that. And we've spoken before about why I created Life Engineered, but that's what the reason why I lead with Life Engineered as the business rather than just business engineered is because For me, it's about helping business owners to build a business that's aligned with their soul's true purpose and that serves their happiness and allows them to live, not just grind. And like, there is some people that, you know, they were just built to be Steve Jobs and like, that's all they do. And that makes them really happy. But we shouldn't judge someone who wants to build a business so that they can go surfing and spend more time with their kids and success looks like freedom number and being able to surf, you know, four days a week and work minimum hours, like there doesn't seem to be enough embracing of that culture anymore. Whereas I think maybe back in maybe the early nineties that was there. And obviously there's the, the, the laptop entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs and the, um, what did I, (laughs) I, I was listening to one of my friends talking about someone that, um, you know, they, they, they have no, the laptop entrepreneur that has no money and they're, they're trading, trading their Instagram likes <laughs> for, for coconut cash. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah. And that could be good for some people. Um, but there's like this, these two segregations and, but these people are still talking about that big dream of making cash and just sitting on a beach and not enough around just actually building a business that serves who you really are at a soul level, what you want to do and and your version of an extraordinary life and that's where i what i do with the be extraordinary seminar is about it's not about what society says extraordinary what's extraordinary to you yeah absolutely and i was actually at an event that surprised me earlier this month it was run by bond university and mm-hmm. it was called demo day and traditionally i thought of demo days as all about tech startups and, and these huge businesses and i was so pleased to see there was such a variety of businesses so I, I was asked to speak as a service business owner there was someone who called herself the the everyday entrepreneur there was some tech startups that are really doing well and there were some social enterprises so there was really kind mm-hmm. of a broad spectrum and i thought that's just so great to see this is where yeah. i think the industry should be going and it felt like Bond University, and that was a Gold Coast event. Actually, that's the direction that wow. I, I wanted to see the industry going, and so I was yep. really pleased to be a part of that. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, it's great to see like the universities getting involved at that level as well, and not just pushing down the traditional routes. Yeah, beautiful. So I'm, I've got a question for you. Let's let's talk surfing for a second. What is describe to me your worst wipeout? Oh, <laughs> so I, I'll, I've had a few, um, <laughs> but I can remember one. I was on a surf trip to, oh, we were in the Maldives and there's a break there called Cokes, which is a right-hand break, a nice barrel, pretty powerful. I paddled out and it was just way bigger than I thought it was. And I just was, I paddled out and just was not expecting how big the sets were and just got absolutely slammed. On the bottom, uh, I don't think I hit the reef, but I just was held down for a really long time. And like, where's, um, how am I going to get back to the top? And 
just paddled straight back in and sat back on the boat. <laughs> so I didn't physically get hurt, but I was just really freaked out because it was mm. such a big, powerful wave and just a hold down like that. A hold down. And then I just had stupid ones on the Gold Coast. Like I got whip, uh, whiplash. It was only like a three, I'd say a three foot wave, just duck dive, messed it up and got yeah flipped oh. around and oh, my neck. But I didn't want to tell anyone about that because it was just a, <laughs> just a small little <laughs> local wave. There was no story about Hawaii or anything like that. Yeah. No, they're the best ones though. <laughs> I am. I, uh, this board here has a huge patch on the bottom of it because I was literally surfing little Marley, like maybe three foot as well, came up, did a floater, fucked it up somehow, flipped the board over, came down and punched my knee straight through my board, <laughs> but thought that I just had hit the fin and had fin chop. And I, I, I'm like, just whim off it, breathe it out, bitch, like hard not. So I'm like, get back on my board and I paddle back out and I catch the wave and it's like really loose through the back end. I'm like, that's really weird. And then catch another wave and do it again. And then I flip my board over and my whole fin, because that's got a um, large center fin, has the pin, is hanging out only by the sliding fin, like the pin. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's not good. So I paddle in, I get out and it's like Christmas time. So it's covered in Japanese tourists. And this guy's taking photos and then he's like freaking out, looking at my leg. He's like running over to me, there's blood everywhere. And I'm like, wow. That's <laughs> like, I think there's some analogies in both these stories that we can have with business, right? When you think that nothing's going to go wrong and yep. it just goes fucking pear shaped. Yep. Or when like, like those hold downs and you just don't know when you're going to come up. Mm -hmm. you, you've told me a little bit about one of your hold downs in business. Um, can you walk me through what happened with your original business partner and how, how that was what you would class as one of your biggest wipeouts in work? Yeah, sure. So that was a really tough time for me, but also for him. So we started Beanages together and we were really excited about what we were building. It was definitely a, a, a business that was more fun to run than our consulting businesses because we could see the scale potential. We were building a team, we we're building a brand. But as we went on, we realized that we had different visions. We also had different family commitments. At the time, I didn't have a family and he did. He had a two-year-old daughter. So he was under a lot more financial pressure than me but, and I could take more business risks. For me, that was the time when I wanted to really grow something, okay. work a lot of hours yeah. and, and grow a big business. And now I know as a parent that it's, it's quite different when you've got a little baby at home and you want to spend time with them, you're probably yeah. sleep deprived <laughs> and, and you can't work those kind of hours. So things kind of built up. And I think we were both unhappy with each other around how quickly the business was growing, the kind of decisions that we wanted to make. We'd also made some mistakes really around how we structured our roles because our, we, were, we were both accountants and we had similar skill sets. So we hadn't really defined who did what. We were yep. both doing sales calls. We were both doing bookkeeping work and, and managing staff. We we're both writing content. We we're kind of both doing everything. And that really kind of messed things up mm. too, because it would have been much better if we just had clear areas of responsibility and we, we didn't tread on each other's toes like that. And we could have the independence to make decisions. So uh, things kind of came to a head and we had to have that very uncomfortable conversation around what are we going to do? It's not really working as business partners. Where do we take things from here? We probably don't want to continue with both of us running the business so should one of us buy the other one out? Both of us loved being ninjas and what we were doing. So neither of us really wanted to leave. But yeah. it's also financially really difficult to buy someone out of a, a it's not, it wasn't a huge business, but it was established. We had customers. Yeah. We'd be going for 18 months. So, and even just bringing up those conversations is hard when you're talking with someone like your co-founder, someone that you still respect and care about to, to actually have those conversations or yeah, those difficult conversations about the future of the business. Yeah. Especially when it's become your baby, right? It's like, you're asking, it's like getting a divorce. Who's getting the kid? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And so what ended up happening, we decided that it would be better for me to, to buy his share of the business. And then he was really good about that process. And we went through evaluation and contract you know, figuring out all the terms and he stayed on as a contractor for about three months afterwards just to help me oh, transition. Yeah. yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, that was just a, a tough time going from having one or we had two people doing the work to then me as the co-founder without him trying to do do everything. So yeah, that was definitely the low. I thought it was a low point going into the those difficult conversations, but the lowest point was actually after I transferred basically my life savings to acquire his part of the business. And then there was quite a bit to turn around. So the business wasn't in the greatest position. I was working crazy hours. I remember being in Bali with my partner and just spending the whole time in an internet cafe working instead of being on holidays and thinking, have I made the right choice here? Yeah. Kind of put a, there's a lot on the line now. There was yeah. 500 bucks in my time on the line before. Now there's a, a lot more on the line. So yeah, goodness. Yeah, that's the that's the hold down point, right? It's like, okay, do you just give up or or do we do we swim to the top? And how how do you get your head above water? How do you keep just keep on going, keep treading and and trust um, when it's when it's all on black? <laughs> yeah, and after that period, then I felt like, well, my back's against the wall now. I just have to make this work because I've put my life savings into this and. I want to start a family soon. So I just have to figure out a way. And I just had to believe that I would, if I put the work in and just and kept mm. on pressing forward, that I'd figure it out. And, and that did happen. I, I thought that it might take two months, but it took more like a year to really yeah. improve our processes, had to make some difficult changes with the team that we had in place. Mm-hmm. And, and that took almost 12 months. But now I'm really glad that I kind of, I took a risk in doing it, but I'm glad it felt like the right decision. And I'm really proud of where we're at now. Yeah, that's amazing. And you guys are going great guns. What would you say would be the biggest learning you took out of that experience? I think we should have talked more about our vision before we went in as co-founders. So we did do one thing right in that we had a co-founder agreement where we planned for an exit. So we had worked out a lot of the terms. So we did that part right but we didn't really talk about where do you want to be in mm-hmm. personally? Where do you want to be in two years? And where do you want yeah. to be in five years? And, and what, what does that look like financially? And what does that look like with the hours that you want to work? So we really had not explored that enough. So that was one mistake. And then the other lesson would be just, you need job descriptions. It, it sounds weird as co-founders because you're kind of doing everything, but really map out your organizational chart and figure out who's doing what. And you'll probably hire people for a lot of those roles, but just be really clear and transparent about that rather than just having it so loose like, like we did. I am so glad you said both of those things because they're the two things that I advise on the most. So when there is two partners in the, in the business in a startup, the biggest problem is usually they're at each other because they're not aligned. They, they never talked about the vision. They never talked about who one wants an exit strategy. The other one wants to like build an empire yeah, one was looking for a lifestyle, someone else is a workaholic and the the disalignment is there and then they're fighting. And it happens a lot also in couples. I see it, I do see it translate also in life generally, um, but especially couples in business, not not being on the same page of and thinking that, you know, you just assume that the other person wants the same thing as you. Yeah. And they, they don't talk about it. That's a really big one, especially the vision, mission values. But job descriptions, I suggest every person in their business, whether you've got co-founders or you're just on your own, you really get clear on what is the highest best use of you and what is your job description going to be? And then looking at what you can outsource from there or who else you could hire, but you need to get that solid because you need to know what your highest best use is and what's the best thing for the business, whether it's, whether it's with somebody else on it whether it's with you just as a solopreneur and, and then you know who you should be outsourcing to, who else do you need to bring onto your team? What is the gaps? And that's the most efficient way to run. And, and too often we see people just fly by the seat of their pants and they're like, oh, it's only the two of us. We don't need that. Or it's only me. And that's the biggest downfall because you can't hold yourself accountable either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, if, I could, if, if we could teach everyone that just to start <laughs> off with, it'd be great, right? So tell me, what is the best business advice you've ever received? So I've received lots of different pieces of business advice over the years and I read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. And I think the best business advice kind of depends on the stage of business that you're in. So I've probably had a couple of different pieces. So 
starting out, it was about launching and getting sales quickly because it's easy for people to tell you, oh yeah, that's a great idea. But if you're asking them for money, then it's quite different. As in, would you buy this? Okay, well, if you're actually going to buy it, then there might be demand for this. And so getting to market really quickly. And and that was something that we applied launching Beanages in seven days. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. Don't spend a lot of time doing research. Just see if you can create something and sell it and then learn and adapt from that. There's no point spending 10 grand on a logo on a website if no one's going to buy your shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then as the business grew, so this is advice for a different stage of business, but it's thinking about, this is from the e-myth, but are you... Oh, I love e-myth. Are you a business owner or are you a technician? And that was a challenge I had because I am an accountant running a bookkeeping business. How do I get myself out of operations? Because it's very mm. easy to get dragged back into something that's my profession. And so I had to keep that mindset around, I want to be a business owner and build an asset. And that means I need other people and processes in all of the delivery, but not just delivery, in all of the other seats. So I want to be in the CEO. If I'm looking at that organizational chart, I want to be in the CEO seat, but then have team members who are responsible for all of the other areas. And you mentioned earlier in the podcast, it took four years to get to that point, but that was very intentional around having that organizational chart that did have my name in a lot of those boxes in the early days, but the goal was one by one to remove yeah. my name from there. Yeah, working out an exit strategy for each of the positions so that you can work up the tree. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Um, you mentioned podcasts and books. What are you reading and listening to at the moment? I'm a regular listener of the Tropical MBA podcast. Oh, and they're, I don't know that one. Yeah, they're about um, location-independent businesses. And yep. they actually run a community called Dynamite Circle, which is where I met my original co-founder and where I met the investor that we have for being injured so great community there i listen to startups for the rest of us which is uh, run by rob walling and mm -hmm. mike Tabor. so that's a software yeah. uh, podcast uh, i actually listen to heaps so i, I <laughs> startup chat which is heat and shower and steli ft um bootstrap web yeah, the, yeah i've got awesome. probably I've got the, some that I listen to every single week and then others like Tim Ferriss, which has more if there's yeah. a particular episode I'll listen to. And then books-wise, lots. Um, Traction by Gino Wickman is something that I've gone back and reread for the third time. And we actually just hosted a team retreat uh, last week or the week before where we were implementing his entrepreneur's operating system. Ah. We've found his frameworks around building teams and 90-day plans, vision, mission. We found that framework really helpful. Mm -hmm. Like Simon Sinek, why? Yeah. And that kind of changed my mindset around motivation and inspiring mm. our team. Yeah, I, I could go on. I, there's, I've got oh, so, there's so many, right? Yeah. No, there's some great ones in there. And there's someone that I haven't, I've never heard of. So I, I absolutely love getting new input because I, I'm a... I can't have a shower or drive the car without listening to something, whether it be an audiobook or a podcast. So I'm, I'm always keen to get a new one. Traction, I'm really interested in because it sounds similar to, have you read 12 Week Year? I haven't, no. Ah, so again, that's about 90 day business plans. It's what I, um, what I facilitate with Entrepreneur Institute, Entrepreneur Resorts for iLab is around creating those quarterly plans, those 90 day business plans and um, 12 Week Year plays into that because it's about focusing on the 12 weeks as if it's a year. So mm -hmm. you don't overstate and traction sounds like if they've got that 90 day feel and it's about vision, mission values, I, that's going to be, I've written it down as my next one to listen to. So thank you for that. Um, so tell me what does success look like to you now? Well, it looks a little bit different now because I have a family in the beginning of Beanages, it was success was having a seven figure business and working less than 20 hours a week so I could surf and work from anywhere in the world. That's what I wanted. That was the original goal. Whereas now I actually love running Bean Ninjas and growing it. So success is about continuing to grow that business and building a team and creating that kind of freedom for all of our team where they've got interesting work and they're enjoying what they're doing and feel motivated and they've got flexibility to do whatever they want, whether it's time with family or surfing or travel. And then also personally building security and opportunities for my daughter and being there. So I love running a business, but I also love being a mum 
and I want to make sure that I've, I've got time to be there for all of her special moments. Yeah. And then also carve out a bit of time for myself. I think this is hard as a mum to actually carve out a bit of time for you to, to exercise, to stay fit and healthy and have a little bit of my own headspace. And that's something I'm still trying to figure out as I juggle business and being a parent. But I think that's really important too. And, and for me, success is having all of those areas with business, health, family and, and friendships. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, being multidimensional. Mm. So what's your moonshot? What what's the moonshot for you? It's, yeah, it's hard to say. So with Traction, they talk about having a 25-year goal or a BHAG, a big, hairy, mm-hmm. audacious goal. And I've, I really find that hard. I think because with Bee Ninjas, we were, it was always, we were just in the weeds, you know, we we're trying to think six months ahead and then trying to think a year ahead. And now I look back and we're four and a half years old and the business has evolved so much. So it's really hard to say, oh, well, where will we be even in two years? Because things move so quickly. But I would love, I guess our, our big hairy audacious goal at the moment is to have impacted 10,000 businesses to help them to know their numbers. And we want to do that either through our training products or through our done-for-you bookkeeping and reporting. So that's kind of where we're aiming for. And it's going to take us many, many years to get to that point. I don't know if it will. Knowing you (laughs) and knowing what you've been doing and even zero recognising you. And I know with the education financial literacy courses that you're putting out there, I don't think it'll take you as long as uh, what some people might think because you are a super high achiever. But you've got some really cool products and you've got really, I think the, the energy that, sur- that surrounds the brand even will make it spreadable um, with those leverage products and, and getting the, the knowledge into just every pe- everyday entrepreneur's hands. Yeah, we, we were talking at our retreat about what our marketing philosophy is and it's really about education and helping business owners to understand their numbers and it might sound like a lot of people kind of get turned off when they hear accounting or bookkeeping or they just think I'm not a numbers person. And when we were just running a bookkeeping business and giving people reports and then having our clients not look at their reports, we kind of thought we want to do more than that. We don't just want to create reports that people never look at. We lodge, lodge their bass or their bat, you know, if they're in mm-hmm. the UK, that's not what we want. We actually want to help these people run great businesses, make data driven decisions And to do that, it's not just about us doing bookkeeping. We need to educate. We need to kind of try and make it a bit interesting to know your numbers. It should be a bit exciting. I like knowing how many things we've had this week, what we have in the pipeline, what predicted to be at the end of the month. Let's kind of bring that fun and that interest to every other business owner to to know the numbers in their business and not feel like they can outsource that to an accountant. It should be business owner should be taking that responsibility themselves to understand their numbers and then they can hire people to help. But ultimately that, that comes, that's their responsibility. Mm. I love what you said there about data driven decisions because really understanding the data and being able to make smart decisions about where you either need to cut costs or invest or like what, what the metrics are, where are you getting, like what, what products are actually de- like developing or delivering the best product margin? Because sometimes we have products that sell and we get really excited about they sell the most. But when you look at the margins on them, they actually, the time, money and energy put into it is not worth it. Where if you turned up the, the marketing energy on something else, but we, if you aren't a numbers person, you don't want to look at it. And, and sometimes if you have a soft spot for one of your products, you might want to <laughs> lean towards it. Whereas if you know what your overall vision and mission is and where you want to go and you can look at the data and look at there might be a quicker way to get where you want to go and it's easier to make the decision if it's data driven absolutely and we talk to so many business owners and i ask questions like oh what who's your most profitable customer and a lot of people won't know that they'll know who pays them the most money but that's yeah. quite it's not related to what it costs mm-hmm. you to deliver that no and often the biggest customer isn't necessarily the most profitable because they demand so much and and expect maybe custom things. Yeah. So knowing things like what's your most profitable customer or your most profitable product, you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't, but so many people don't actually know the answer to those kind of questions. Well, when I was running my recruitment firm, it wasn't until I started doing board reports and, and analyzing this stuff that I realized that I'd worked so hard, worked years to land Google because you know, everyone wants to have Google as their client. 
And then when I looked at it, it was like, they are a profit killing client. Like it, it looks okay on the surface, but because it takes three months minimum to get someone from interview to offer, because back then, like, I don't know if it still is, but the, the spreadsheets still went to Sergey and you, every person that's got hired had to go through this spreadsheet and you couldn't get through more than three months and then you'd lose a candidate mid thing and you've invested three months of your life into this and then it's gone. You get nothing. Yeah. It's like, so that was my most empowering moment was firing Google as a client. <laughs> I was like, you guys are profit killing and I'm out. Yeah. And now we're taking all the candidates to our lesson. No, <laughs> but but that the ego wanted to keep them right because it sounded so good to have them as a client and you know, you'd make an invoice here and there and it's like 15,000, 20,000. Oh yeah, that's good. But then when you actually look at the back end work and the margins profit killing. Yeah. And it's much easier to fire them then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you have that information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then explaining to the, the staff and the account manager who's looking after it, why they have to go, <laughs> why we can't keep this client and they have to find someone else. Um, a much easier conversation to have. Um, so if you think about your moonshot though, for you overall, not just being the images, what's Meryl's moonshot? Oh, right. Me personally. Well, I think, so on the Beanages podcast, we ask a question around what financial freedom means to different mm -hmm. people. And it's so common, the underlying theme around People who run businesses, they enjoy it. And even if they're financially free, they'd still want to keep on running a business. Yeah. And, and so I'm the same. I, I love what I do. And maybe I'd, it would be nice to work slightly less hours than I do. But I actually want to keep on running businesses, mentoring staff, mentoring other business owners. And I want to have the options to travel, spend time with family, surf, be fit. Mm. But I'm kind of doing a lot of... I, what I want is, I think, fairly simple. It's, it's mainly around creating time to to spend time in, in those different areas and not have it all focused on work. Yeah. So I'm kind of getting the opportunity to do what I want at the moment. I mean, we're not traveling as much because Ava's only small, but we can do that. We can take her with us when, yeah. when she's a little bit older. So my moonshot is really just to continue with more of the same and run businesses, have freedom, surf, be fit and healthy and... Yeah, and, and just try and impact more people to to be have that ability to to live that kind of life as well, where they feel like they have freedom and they're choosing and intentional with what they work on, where they spend yeah. their time, and where they live. Yeah, I find that um, our ability to achieve these moonshots or achieve what we really want to do is actually purely based on our own self and and the limiting beliefs that we have. Are you happy to share? Is there anything that might be a limiting belief that you hold that you are currently working that overcoming or that you've worked on and overcome that's now allowing you to step up? Yeah, I, I think when I first started businesses, I, I, I thought pretty small and it's through my mentor, who Simon, who's an investor in the business, who kind of ended up being a mentor to me, just kind of happened because he was interested in the business. He kind of asked me questions that make me think bigger. Whereas I, I always, I'm a, if I achieve something, then I'm thinking of the next goal, but the next goal might just be incremental. And mm -hmm. so maybe that, it's not a specific limiting belief, but it was more around just always thinking small and, and only mm -hmm. thinking, you know, baby steps of, well, let's improve and gradually improve. Whereas he, he could ask a question like, well, could this be a $10 million business? Think, well, okay, maybe it could. And what does that look like? And do we actually want that? So mm -hmm. having someone that asked me those kind of questions about the, the kind of much bigger impact that we could yeah. have is has been really interesting. And, and so I think maybe I was thinking too small, but, but then it's also important not just to go after a goal like that because you can, because that's going to mean that you're sacrificing other things. Yes. So to be, be clear about, well, okay, if we're going to try and be a $10 million business, which we, we may or may, may not, that, that may or may not be right for us. Mm. what's actually required to get there and yep. are we willing to sacrifice that yeah and everything comes at a sacrifice so mm. what are you willing to sacrifice and what does happiness look like to you and this is another thing i've seen and and i fell trapped to it myself in my last business i think we spoke about this before um vanity metrics and ego like thinking that just because you can make a business that big and then you should and then that will you know win the next award make the next million build, 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 but not looking at what, what cost that comes at. And is that actually what you set out to do in the first place? So I think it's really important that you do have the counterbalance, but what I just took out of 
what you said there with the limiting belief or what might've held you back is having a circle of five. So the, the, some of the five people having people that are, you know, where you want to go or that ask the bigger questions that do support you to, to dream a little bigger. Um, because often if we, especially when we're starting out smaller, if we're a small business, local business, and we have other people like that, or we've got our circle as family and friends and they may not be able to see the bigger picture. They can, they can hold us back or poo poo our, our ideas, or if they're a little risk adverse, then it can, it can stop us from taking that leap. So I think it's really important to have someone on your team or in your circle that, you know, they don't, don't make you do crazy things, but do challenge you to be thinking about the what ifs. And just following on from what you were talking about there, I, I like to put a filter on who's giving me advice <laughs> and kind of like have a virtual boardroom in your head. Of, oh, well, yeah. You want the, the big thinker, but you know that that's the kind of angle that they're coming from. So put that filter on whether you're going to take that advice or not. And then on the other, another example is my dad who ran a business that's quite different to mine. And he was more like a lifestyle business where he kept it small, didn't work that much and, you know, was able to do what he wanted. And so when I get advice from him, I again, put that filter on it. Well, that's his perspective. Yeah. And so I'm not going to listen to everything because it's very easy to have people shoot down your ideas oh. in, in the early days. And yeah. so I'd, I'd, I'd put that filter up around, do they have my best interests at heart when they're giving me this advice yeah. and they may... Often they do, but then does, does well, they might have your best interest at heart, but is it from their lens? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And maybe it's that advice should just be ignored and, mm. and you should be, it's worth hearing everything, but then deciding, mm. okay, I'm going to block out most of that and just go with what I believe, yeah. which can, can be hard to do. Yeah. Uh, my dad, my dad had a similar situation. He built businesses and lost them and, um, He's always like, why would you want to be running another big business? Just go surfing. It doesn't cost anything to go surfing. Why the fuck do you want to do this? Like, look at all the stress. Look at, look at you. You're on that stupid phone. He's like, you could just be going surfing. It's like, oh, dad. Yeah. So, and then, and then you might have the investors, which are like, no, we need to go for 25 times multiple in five years. And you're like, yeah, it's like applying. But I think that comes down to if you really get clear on your vision, mission and values, and what success looks like for you and what happiness for your soul is, then you can go, okay, cool. That gave me a little bit of emotion over here and motivation. And that actually, that just, that just brought me back to earth and kept me real. So that's great. So you do need the both, but you need to understand what it is for you that you're aiming for so that you can use that as your guiding star. Right? Yeah. Yep. Spot on. Yeah. Now I want to go into some rapid fire uh, with you, if that's okay. Tell me what is one environmentally conscious product or practice that you love that's simple for anyone to adopt or implement? Um, so I think everyone, I like everyone to do their bit. So I think it's, and this might not be the answer you were expecting, but I think it's easy for people to talk about global warming and things like that and then not do anything about it and not, you know, have one, one car in your family or not try and ride your bike. And so I just try and do simple things like that. I try and ride my bike to places, just the impact that I can have myself yep. in with recycling and, you know, just, just little things around how we're using power. Yeah. Awesome. I, I'm really big on your, what you can do. What's just one choice you can make today to have less impact. And I went, I went simply, I went to buy a pen the other day. I was like shopping around for a pen and I'm like, I just need a new pen. And then I was like, oh, don't want to throw away pen because that's plastic. So look at this. How cool is this? I can get a refill and it's a hand turned pen. That's gorgeous. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. And it was 15 bucks. I'm like, it's a score. But like just when you start to think about reuse, repurpose, recycle, what is just one decision you could make every single day to have a slightly less impact? If everybody does that. And one day like each day multiplies, right? So I don't buy a coffee if I can't have in the cup. Yep. One of the guys here that I had a impromptu coaching call, um, or coffee with a few weeks ago, we were talking about, he, he was getting the takeaway cup. And I'm like, no, can't be your friend. And I, he made a commitment that if he can't have it in a keep cup, he doesn't have it. So he wanted to, and that was around wanting to reduce having coffee. And I said to him today, have you got a keep cup yet? And he said, no. And I was like, oh, you're off my friends list. He goes, no, no. If I'm not having it in, I don't have a coffee anymore. 
I was like, okay, that's it. You can back, back on the list, back on the list. Yeah. Right. Just one, one little thing. Okay. So what, tell me your best travel advice. <laughs> Don't take four surfboards when you're going <laughs> on a surf trip. <laughs> it's so hard. Oh. I love surf trips and traveling and I hate carrying surfboards around and, mm-hmm. and maybe consider whether you want to take your longboard. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't. I, I only take a shortboard yeah. if I'm going on a surf trip. Well, this is why I've got this thing because I was always a longboarder. So I was always a longboarder and then I started traveling all the time. I'm like, can't take an eight, six board with me wherever I go. I'd got down to a seven footer. Even that's a bitch. So this is an amazing crossover. It's six, six. I've now mm-hmm. got a six footer as well that still lets you catch like smaller waves. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm on a shortboard purely because of the travel function. I now own shortboards and have started learning to shortboard because of the inconvenience of taking big boards. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's one thing that scares the fuck out of you? <laughs> Being a mum actually did. So yeah, I was so scared about that because I'm very regimented and kind of organised, disciplined. And with a baby, you're like, all of that goes out the window. You, you don't know what, when they what to expect they're crying eating like all your routines and i really wanted to be a mom and really excited about it but i was really scared about am i going to be a good parent what's life going to be like and i mean it's been amazing i think i kind of read so much about how to prepare myself for uh-huh. it but that was something recently that definitely really scared me i think because i really wanted to do it well like be a good parent yeah. as well cared mm. <laughs> yeah that's good <laughs> okay what's on top of your bucket list well, at the moment, so my, I've got two favourite surf destinations. One is the Maldives and the other is Macaroni's in the Mentawise, which yep. is a client of mine. So, Oh, really? Actually, yeah. I did know this. Yeah. So I've been there on multiple work trips. And so I, um, my partner Take might not like <laughs> Yeah. Might not like this being at the top. So I'll just say it's in my, not, I'll say it's on my bucket list, not necessarily at the top, is to do another surf trip. And and when Ava's old enough, and hopefully she's going to be a surfer, then I want to do mum and daughter surf trips. Oh, adorable. I uh, I got my nephew on a board at 18 months, his first one, and I and he's just over two now. I took him down at Rainbow Bay the other day. Oh, it was so cute. So <laughs> cute. <laughs> um, okay, if you could go on a surf trip with anyone, dead or alive, two people, you get to pick two people, anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Well, so Steph, Steph Gilmore, she's kind of my favourite female surfer. And she just seems like an Aussie girl, just lovely, yeah. really down to earth and amazing at surfing. And then I'd have to say my partner, Chantelle, as well. Hopefully oh. I can get that, the um, surfing vibe into her too. Yeah, awesome. What's, what's one question you'd want to ask Steph? Um, what, she loves most about, what she loves most about surfing. So I, I think... With others, so I used to play a lot of tennis and a lot of tennis players don't actually like tennis. So when you're, when you're competing at a professional level, it yeah. takes the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's I your job. It's your job. It's just competition and stress. Yeah. But to me, it looks like Steph still enjoys surfing as yeah. well as competing on the world stage. So I want to know how she was able to have it as a job, but also still keep the love for surfing. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get to ask her. I'm going to reach out and try and get her on the show. So We'll, uh, we'll ask her the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Give me three to five words that you would like associated with you. Um, so I'd like to be remembered, I, I suppose, from a business perspective as a, a great leader, um, you know, and selfless for my team. Fun. Although sometimes I can get pretty serious when it comes to the business, <laughs> business side of things. Um, transparent and honest. That's a, that's a really big part of what we're about business-wise, but also just personally and, and trying to be upfront about everything and kind. Oh, lovely. Well, you've seen, I've, I've seen you display all of those things. So I think, I think you're nailing it. Um, if you could recommend either one course, book or podcast to a budding entrepreneur, what would it be and why? If for a budding entrepreneur, I'd say the seven-day startup because that's mm-hmm. all about launching really quickly. If they're a bit more experienced, then Traction, which was the, yeah. the book I mentioned that's had a lot of influence on me, more in the scale-up phase, not in mm-hmm. the product market fit phase. Beautiful, beautiful. 
if you were going to make an Instagram quote board, what would the quote say? <laughs> I'm so bad at quotes. So I'd, I'd probably be trying to find someone else's amazing quote <laughs> and, and repurpose it. <laughs> okay. Then you can give me, what's your, what's one quote that you live by or defer to? This is the accountant in me, but it's the Peter Drucker, what gets measured gets managed. That's Uh not a life quote. That's just something that my team know. I'll be talking about that very regularly. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. But, but definitely great to run your business by. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So we talked a little bit before about your financial literacy courses. And I love that you're not just a business that does bookkeeping and help people, you know, get their accounts underway. You really are about educating people to make better decisions, be able to make those data-driven decisions. Tell me a little bit about what led to making the courses and what are they and how can people get them in their hands? So the reason for creating the courses was we get a lot of, well, there's two reasons. So one is that we get a lot of inquiries from business owners that are starting out. So they've just started their business. They might have just got a zero file or they're thinking about it, but our first bookkeeping tier is a bit expensive for a new business, but we realized, well, hang on, just because these business owners aren't quite at the size yet that it makes sense to outsource bookkeeping, that, that doesn't mean they don't need to do it. And so we wanted to create a product where we could help someone get set up. So we have a zero setup product, but then also how do you do your own bookkeeping until you can get your business to the point that you can outsource it. And that's really important so that, you're still looking at numbers regularly and not getting a couple of years behind, which is quite common for new mm-hmm. businesses. So that was the, the why behind the how to do your bookkeeping in zero course. And then on the other side of that, we took, we, I mentioned earlier, we have clients who we send reports and then they just <laughs> never look at them. And I realized actually there's quite a bit of training and knowledge that goes into being able to read a set of financials look at benchmarks, look at ratios, dig into customer profitability analysis, and also apply techniques like profit first and think about how that applies, which is a cash flow management mm-hmm. system, um, how that fits into the rest of your financial reports and strategy. And so I saw this need and so created a course to teach business owners really to know their numbers and and how, what kind of reports to look at, but how you actually review it. So it's kind of like a over the shoulder of me looking at sets of financial statements and talking through what I'm seeing and why and how I then wow. use, use this to make decisions in a business. So valuable. Yeah. And so, what I love, what I love about what you've said there as well is you, most people go, Oh, I'm a traditional, I'm a service business. So my product suite is this you've gone, how else can I serve the customers, the same avatar? And also how can you product pathway people? So I think if um, more business people can go, okay, yeah, this is traditionally what we do, but what if we thought differently? What if we put a shift on it? How can we have a leveraged product as well? But also how can we, like what you've got there is people aren't ready. They don't have enough cash yet to use your outsourcing, but you can educate them, help them get to the stage that then they can drop into your pipeline too. But also helping those business owners that you do have on board make better decisions so they make more money everybody's a winner. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I get asked from time to time, oh, are you worried about teaching people how to do their, their own bookkeeping? And will they never become clients? I say, no, I think it's a good skill to have. And if, if a business owner is trying to scale, then bookkeeping is one of those things that they outsource along with a number of other things. And if they're not trying to scale and, and delegate, then they, they may not ever look at using our service, but that's fine too. They probably weren't yeah. going to be customers anyway. So I'm glad that I would have helped them with the course. Yeah. And let's be honest, most business owners that aren't running a business about bookkeeping or numbers don't want to be doing their numbers. So <laughs> yeah. the, the sooner they can get that off their plate, the better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll, um, in the show notes, I'll put links to how you, how the people can get a hold of those courses as well. Yeah, but right. what's the best way for people to get in contact with you or to follow your journey and the Bean Ninjas journey? Two ways. We write a lot of content on the Bean Ninjas blog. So if they just head over to the website, beanninjas.com, and that's B-E-A-N, so bean ninjas. Like Jack and the Beanstalk? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bean counters. (laughs) Bean counters? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the other is LinkedIn. So I'm quite active on LinkedIn and happy to connect with anyone there. And that's just my full name, which is Meryl Johnson. Awesome. Beautiful. Any parting things you'd like to leave us with, Meryl? 
it's just been it's been really fun. I, I said to you at the beginning that we're talking about my two favorite topics, business <laughs> and surfing. And I really enjoyed having a chat with you and we've talked about all kinds of things. Yeah. So my my message to the audience is really to believe in yourself and to make choices not based on what other people are telling you or other people's goals, but to be clear about what you want and believe in yourself and go after it. And also, if you're into surfing, definitely create the time to do it and, and carve out that time from your business. Yeah, amazing, amazing. I uh, That's the key thing I teach with the Mind Valley stuff is how to set goals not based on the bullshit rules of society and, and the conforming to the culture scape, like all the, all the shit and being shoot all yeah. over, like just... Just do what makes you happy. Be unfuckwithable. Don't care yeah. about what other people says. Super hard. Got to practice every day. But yeah, love it. Love it. Well, I am so grateful for having you on the show. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Guys, if you have any questions about finances, definitely just at least follow the guys' podcast and blog at Bean Ninjas because you'll just get hints and tips all the way. Great. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Hey there, Barrel Chasing Business Owners. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value out of today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.